Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My special guest today is Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown. Paul is an expert in insurance and insure tech, healthcare, and life sciences in regards to corporate law. So I'll be with him in just a moment. In this week's tech news, I want to preface this with a follow-up to last week's announcement that Twitter had some of their most prolific users hacked. I'm going to talk a lot about that in CyberTip, so be sure to tune in for that. But Twitter this week is in the news because they have banned 7,000 accounts related to QAnon, the reported conspiracy theory, as well as they plan to possibly ban 150,000 more accounts. Now, one thing I'll talk about, Twitter, Facebook, Google is private companies. They technically can do whatever they want. We bring up censorship a lot, but they can do whatever they want. Uh, The DMCA, Digital Millennium Copyright Act, protects them in letting them do certain things. Now, when we hear about the administration wanting to revoke those privileges or be able to enforce actions on them, it's all related to whether a private company can both enjoy the benefits of being a private company, but also getting some of the benefits of being a public news source. I think this will definitely heat up as we move closer and closer to the election. And so I want people to stay tuned with that. Also, in terms of a public service announcement, if you're an AT&T phone user, you might have gotten an email this week that said that you are using a device that will no longer work with the AT&T network. And this happens every once in a while. A new technology rolls out and your mobile phone company says that your phone that you paid good money for will no longer work. And that because they've upgraded their network, that is just not available to you anymore. Uh, one thing I want to mention about the AT&T email is that whether you have an old phone or a new phone, because in some cases, some Samsung's galaxies are reported that they won't work either, that if you got this email, it's not a scam, it's real, but really pay attention to the details. This action won't happen until February 2022 at the earliest. So it's not like you have to go run out this week and get yourself a new phone. You have plenty of time to look at other options, whether it's a carrier or a device. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Paul Chen, who's a partner at Mayor Brown. Paul is considered an expert in corporate law, and he has specialties in insurance, insure tech, financial services, life sciences, and healthcare. Welcome again, Paul. Thanks, Keith. So, Paul, you work in a wide range of industries, but today we want to talk about in innovation in insurance and insure tech. But before we do that, why don't we get a little bit back into your background? Well, as you said, I'm a corporate lawyer working on transactions for companies and investors. And these transactions include venture capital, private equity, and mergers and acquisitions. And so I'm a partner at uh, Mayor Brown in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. Mayor Brown is an international law firm with over 1,600 lawyers globally, with offices in every major commercial and financial center, including Silicon Valley, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, London, and Hong Kong. 
At Mayor Brown, I'm a member of our firm's insurance industry focus group, and I have a particular um, passion on helping clients on technology and innovation matters involving the insurance industry. Um, I started my career helping insurance companies with developing new product lines and raising funds or acquiring businesses to create these new opportunities. I've been on both the management consultant side and the legal side of the equation. And to give you an idea of how long I've been doing this uh, in the insurance industry, my um, actual first job was a summer intern at an insurance company in the Midwest. And um, my job was to basically read and record insurance claims data uh, for my bosses. And this data was derived from those like old computer punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, you know, you're- Sounds really exciting. I remember punch cards, but that sounds yeah. really exciting. And, and then you put these punch cards in a machine and then it read the data and then the printout would come out from a dot matrix printer, you know, with, you know, really loud onto this uh, green, you know, green and white line continuous feed paper. You know, well, that's great. You perforate it and all that. So anyways, that's how I um, started my career. And well, that, that's a really good thing, Paul, because you think about how much has occurred in those few decades and where we're at today. And, and even though we see a lot of innovation technology, uh, I believe the insurance industry is ripe to continue to innovate and adopt uh, best practices being enabled by technology, which is why we're talking today. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because you probably don't naturally asso associate technology and innovation with the insurance industry, uh, especially conflating with the tech industry. You can see that, you know, just from the story I told, you know, obviously the insurance industry has moved on from punch cards and dot matrix printers, at least hopefully they have. Here's what I noticed. And just full disclosure, uh, Paul and I mentor in InsureTech and FinTech in a number of accelerators in the Valley. And uh, I use Paul and Mayor Brown for some of the companies that I work with. So they give excellent service. Uh, one of the things, uh, most of my career being in financial services and technology, you and insurance and technology, is that both industries are seen as very stodgy. But at the same time, people don't realize how much technology actually is adopted and implemented in these industries. It's just that the crushing weight of regulatory oversight makes it where it seems like they're not innovating because of all the approvals and making sure that they're adhering to all these rules and regulations. Yeah, I mean, it's a regulated industry. Insurance is one where heavily regulated by all 50 states um, in, here in the U.S. And, and globally speaking, insurance has you know, depending on your uh, your jurisdiction, will have its own insurance regulator, and the insurance regulator is very much the overseeing, making sure that insurance companies are doing the right thing for policyholders, so that when a policyholder does have a claim, there's sufficient funds to uh, pay that policyholder out on the insurance that they bought. So, insurance regulation obviously is really necessary for an industry like insurance. You know, just like there's regulators for banks and other kinds of financial services. But I think the regulators are starting to understand the importance of implementing technology and innovation within the insurance industry just to really keep up you know, with the consumer. Consumers have expectations for having more transparent pricing, uh, more reliable service, you know, just transparency in, in what they're getting. And so that's also part of the you know, protection of the consumer, if you will.
So what we've seen initially about technology innovation, especially when a lot of the insure tech startups were trying to disrupt the industry and actually create uh, instability within the insurance companies that already had you know, thousands and millions of policyholders that provided some concern to the insurance regulators. So they had to respond probably more, what you said, you know, in a more stodgy way. But uh, now that I think the big insurance companies are also starting to, starting to adopt insurance technology and innovation as well, and finding ways to improve the customer experience um, and pay off claims faster and, and provide better pricing for consumers, then I, I, I think you see the regulators also starting to relax some of those more stringent regulations to allow insurance companies to um, adapt. So those are all really positive signs. Hey, hey Paul, this is a great start. I know we have a lot to talk about today, so let's uh, keep going in our next segment and talk about some of the transformation we're seeing because of the regulators and their change in stance. Uh, You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Kuh, special guest Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown here in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. We're talking about transformation in the insurance industry and the insurance technology industry. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Also, at the end of the show, I'll be talking about some job programs from companies like Google. So you don't want to miss that. And we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest today is Paul Chen, a corporate counsel and a partner at Mayor Brown. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks. So, Paul, early in the show, we did talk about your expertise in transaction law, M&A, deals, private equity, venture capital. Today, we're talking specifically about insurance and insure tech. I wanted to ask you this question. How has COVID-19 impacted the insurance industry? And how has that helped or not helped their change in attitude with technology? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously still in the early days, probably, of the pandemic and COVID-19. But the impact on the insurance industry uh, is pretty wide-ranging. And it depends on what type of insurance an insurance company has offered you know, obviously, you've heard on the news about business interruption insurance and how some insurance companies may not um, find that the claims are, are legitimate to to pay off those claims yeah. by businesses. So that's being worked out, and you know that's a fairly complex question. But you know, clearly, there's there's been um, some disruption on that front. Um, there's other types of insurance, uh, such as life insurance, um, you know, health insurance, and others where people are becoming more attuned to the need for those types of insurance to, to help them cover a potential um, calamity with respect to, to COVID-19. And so what insurance companies have realized through this process is that uh, many of them did not actually have the digital channels that were widely available for people to uh, communicate with insurance companies or even understand their products very well. And some of the early, you know, early stage or tech-enabled um, insurance companies, which I'm calling InsureTech for short, um, did have those kind of uh, digital channels where people could go um, online 
you know, through their phone, through their desktop computer, basically, you know, in any type of environment and look up what those products uh, were, have a better understanding how those products fit their lifestyle and then um, have a process within their, um, you know, chosen mobile uh, communi communication device to uh, start the underwriting process um, and eventually get insurance. So uh, that has actually uh, given insurance companies, you know, even more of incentive to innovate and to adopt more digitization of the various underwriting processes um, and even claims processes to have a better customer experience. Um, and also to um, just kind of clean up some of the slower processes that were done more manually um, it, within the insurance underwriting and, and claims process and, and adopt more efficient tools to uh, very, you know, compete against um, you know, some of these earlier stage tech-enabled insurance companies. And this leads me to another question, which is from your clients, many are large insurance companies. Do you see it more of a build or buy mentality in adopting these technologies? Yeah, again, I think it depends on the perspective of an insurance company and you know their their current position. So some insurance companies have really enabled themselves to adopt technology a lot faster. And they they've done it both from a build and a buy perspective. Building meaning that they're doing a lot of it organically in-house and they you know have adopted technology through R&D, um, maybe some alliances with um, InsurTechs uh, versus buy, which is really insurance companies having uh, the need to get, you know, acquire a technology uh, very quickly. And so they just go out through usually mergers and acquisitions to uh, buy a company um, or a business and, and assets that can help them to jumpstart and even leapfrog their competition. So, I think given COVID-19, people are um, in the insurance industry are reevaluating. They need to adopt technology just because, again, it's it's not a static market, just like anything else um, at this stage. You know, things are changing so quickly, right? So people are uh, looking at the various opportunities within InsurTech, seeing what really works. In some cases, being much more aggressive about adopting technology that really improves the uh, the consumer experience, I think, is, is one area where people really realize from COVID-19 that they really need to, to step up and accelerate that experience, you know, learning from e-commerce companies, you know, retail side of the business, plus even financial services and fintech, which probably has a bit of a head start on working with consumers on their financial needs. Yeah, we, we always have a joke when we talk about uh, financial services versus insurance. Uh, financial services is trying to protect money and grow money and insurance expects losses. So they know that the money is going to go and they're trying to figure out how to recapture the money. <laughs> so it's just an industry joke. But one on a more serious topic is, have you been able to get a bead in the first half of this year on what deal flows look like for these transactions? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the best way to look at it is comparison to last year. Uh, 2019, which is really a breakout year for InsurTech. Uh, InsurTech investment has really been substantial over the last 
few years. And according to some statistics that I saw last year in 2019, insurance tech investment was probably in the six billion range globally. Mm. So um, pretty substantial business. And, and part of it is, you know, kind of catch up with financial services and, and, and other you know, businesses. 2020 so far, because of COVID, just like any other industry, really, people have been a little bit more cautious on how investments may uh, turn out. But at the same time, I, I do know from talking to clients um, on the insurance side that insurance carriers are very keen on looking at strategic opportunities. We have worked with several insurance carriers continuing to invest in um, insure tech companies um, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere in the U.S. So there's definitely still a lot of interest because just as we discussed, the insurance industry really does need to adopt these various technologies to attract um, higher growth and, and also just to serve customers uh, yeah. the right way. I mean, you know, regulators are looking for that. So in, in some ways, it's a necessity to uh, bring more insurance technology within the, the insurance industry system. Well, well, I can imagine, especially in the case where in certain fields, there has to be, or traditionally has been a, like a claims adjuster has to come out and see the auto accident or evaluate the the condition of a car that with COVID-19, uh, there's a lot more reluctance to actually send physical people out to these sites. And so there has to be some type of adoption of uh, technology and a process in order to still serve the customer with, with minimizing the exposure for these insurance companies employees. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Keith, because that's one of the technologies that the insurance companies are, are really trying to adopt. And it seems pretty simple, right, in terms of like, okay, we'll just take a picture and send it to us, right, and then we'll evaluate it and, and tell you. But the uh, insurance industry has adopted a bunch of different legacy systems within their um, insurance information technology, just like probably like banks did, you know, a few years ago as well. They had to, you know, one of the issues the insurance industry faces is just trying to integrate all these different technologies that relate to data collection, data aggregation, data analytics, and make it compatible with their current system. So it can kind of go through their entire business process in a way that also satisfies all the regulatory requirements and data privacy requirements. And it's uh, sometimes not the easiest thing. So even, you know, taking a picture of a damage to your car and then sending it to a claims adjuster, sometimes, you know, they it still has to kind of pass muster as to, you know, how that fits in within the claims um, adjustment process. But, you know, you see all these different kinds of uh, methods that people are, you know, insurance companies are trying to implement and insurance technology companies are, are trying to develop in order to make that process much easier. And that goes from auto to, you know, to your home, like if there's a, a hurricane or, or so, some other kind of natural disaster that creates damage to your house, then what do you do? I mean, you can send a claims adjuster out during COVID-19 or you can send out, you know, some other kind of device, you know, even like drones are, are being used as well. I'm going to pause you right there because I want to talk more about that. So okay. it's a really interesting conversation. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Special guest is Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown. We're talking about transformation in the insurance industry. Any questions or comments, emails at info at Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'll be right back with more with Paul Chen.
For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show is Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown. We're talking about the future of insurance and insurtech. This week's cyber tip, I want to talk more about last week's Twitter hack. We discussed how a number of power users of Twitter, millions and millions of followers, all had their accounts hacked in coordinated fashion, stating that they were willing to do something good for you by giving you double the Bitcoin you send to them. About $118,000 of Bitcoin was stolen, which doesn't sound like much, but the actual hack is very troubling for a number of reasons. One is how did Twitter get their entire system hacked so that their most powerful users and companies would all tweet this? And then why did it happen? Twitter will not give all the details, but they did admit that it was an insider threat. So due to social engineering, social engineering can either happen because one of your system administrators was compromised through some type of social engagement, someone becoming their friend, or an insider threat that they're actually unhappy with their place of employment like Twitter. So I always caution that you have to have different layers of security inside your company to make sure that you have safeguards so the social engineering doesn't happen and so these insider threats don't happen. This is going to be very important leading up to the election because Twitter, Facebook, Google, Apple already have so much scrutiny by the U.S. government on whether they're a monopoly, but also whether their systems are too outside of government purview that these things can happen. So that's the cyber tip of the week is to always be concerned and cautious about the access rights you're given. We can always help you with that. Email us at info at svn.biz. And the last thing I'll tell you is so funny about the Twitter hack is that the hackers actually were sophisticated enough to use the persona of the user. So in essence, Jeffrey Epstein, who's dead, his account was actually pretending to be him with the joke, I didn't kill myself. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. So Paul, early in the show, we got a chance to get to know you. Uh, you do M&A and transaction law. You've done it for a number of decades and you focus on things like fintech and health and life science. And you're considered an expert, especially in insurance and insure tech. In our last segment, we start talking about some of the new technologies being adopted. And we we're just talking about drones. So what do you know about drones? And it's very close to my heart. So what do you know about drones and insurance? Well, drones is another one of those tools that the insurance industry can use to help to detect um, damage to uh, a property, for example, or to take a look at the condition of a property, even before the insurance company decides to take on uh, uh, the business. Um, so that's the underwriting process. So, you know, especially in some more remote areas where it's expensive or more difficult for, you know, sending out personnel, you can send out a drone instead to check out the property, uh, make sure that it that the specs match what the policyholder applicant is saying on his application on his or her application, and then basically bring you know the data back to the, the insurance company so that uh, they can verify 
you know, either the underwriting side of it or a claim. So it's, it's one of the functions, but, you know, clearly drones have a lot more potential as well in terms of um, offering, you know, value added services to an insurance customer. So I, I can't say that this is happening a lot right now, but, you know, given the fact that, that drones are, are fairly versatile, you know, it could, it could help to detect problems before uh, they arise to, to basically reduce the cost of a potential, you know, damage or calamity, you know, especially if it's, you know, if it's something that is, is more of a man-made problem. Yeah, I, I can tell you from a personal experience, uh, one of the companies I advise is Aeronide out of Florida, and I can't explicitly state which state, but we have a pilot with a state that is very drone-friendly. And if you can imagine 100 miles of freeway, if we're using a drone to cover monitoring of normal traffic patterns on a freeway, and then it, say a pileup happens, so multi-car collision or even a single car or you know, two-car collision, the ability to automatically deploy a drone, take all the video of the accident scene, you get license plates, you can even get, if you wanted to program it, you can even get a testimonial or statements from witnesses or the affected parties, or you can even have the drone program to say, uh, we would like to get a recorded statement from you. It will cut down on processing time. It'll cut down on fraud for, unfortunately, sometimes fraud occurs in the delay from taking statements. And all that can be done today. What limits right now is that really drones are still uh, working out the regulations involved. Again, regulated industries, the US and Europe are considered the leaders in drone regulations. But these are the things that the technology has already been built. So you have the drone platform, you have the devices, you have the software, the artificial intelligence. Really, we're just waiting for regulations and adoptions by state and local government, federal government, in order for it to happen. Yeah, and I'm glad you talked about the regulations on on drones and, and flying the drones and collecting the data on drones that drones gather. It's the same issue with insurance because the, the data that a drone gathers has to be reliable. And in order for that, for an insurance company to use it, then it has to be verified that it is indeed reliable, especially if it comes to an underwriting or claims type of decision. So that's the type of thing that regulators are looking out for. So I think the regulations that that drones are going through right now, the regulators on the insurance side are are looking at as well, so that eventually and, and hopefully this information can be provided in a way where it complies with the reliability standard, but you know, data privacy as well, because that's the other issue I think for drones when you use data, so that you can see a lot more than maybe what the policyholder would want you to see. And so, to what extent can you you know use that without you know without their consent? So, um, and that goes with a lot of other devices that people um, kind of consent to using, you know, wearables that you use on your body to sort of detect like you know how healthy you are or what kind of lifestyle you lead, for example. You know, those all help in detecting the type of behavior you have so that an insurance company can assess your risk for underwriting and so that impacts the pricing. But then later on, if something does happen to you, you know, they'll be able to detect, you know, pretty much right away, is that is that a verifiable event or not? Right, so all these things have potential deficiencies right now because the, the collection of data, the transmission data, you know, all that um, on the data side is still not 100% reliable. So these are the type of issues that the insurance industry is grappling with as well. 
this is a great point you're making. So I, I do want to pivot on the topic just because we're, we're talking about, in this case, data and data privacy. Uh, a lot of what you do, Paul, in your practice with your clients and a lot of what I do in my practice in consulting is when we're talking to companies, especially startups who have a great idea, it's different than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago where technology has always been at the forefront and regulations and laws follow. But because of the convergence of technology and laws and processes, it's incumbent on startups to, what I say, have regulation in mind. I think in the past, a lot of counsel has been, don't worry about the laws and regulations. You can figure it out later. Just get your product out. And then you end up with a company like Theranos. So uh, this is just a word of caution that as people are developing their products and their ideas, whether they're an established company or whether they're a startup, keep in mind, and I, I do think that financial services and insurance, even beyond, um, say, hospitals and healthcare, they're at the forefront of data privacy because they've been regulated longer. And so they have more experience with that. And when you brought up the thought about when a drone's collecting data and how would an insurance industry adopt that? Exactly. Uh, a drone in itself is another form of data collection. And so when we put on a third-party risk or vendor management hat on the world I came out of, you just have to make sure that you treat your drone as a vendor and the vendor is adhering to all the policies, procedures that you are giving as an insurance industry so that you can audit them and that you can rely on their processes so that your auditors and your regulators can audit you. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about data in the insurance industry, well, first of all, the insurance industry is a data industry for the most part. I mean, you know, before insure tech was a buzzword, insurance companies were really leaders in information technology, right? Because the whole underwriting process is really about gathering data and analyzing the data. It's just that the insurance industry didn't have maybe the, the most cutting edge tools to collect the data at the time. And now that these tools have been developed, you know, now there's a flood of data that's coming in. And then the regulators are kind of holding the reins or tightening the reins a bit and just saying, hey, hold on a second. Uh, you know, some of this data is potentially creating problems for your underwriting process that it could basically be discriminatory in the way, not the data itself per se, but the way that insurance companies through artificial intelligence, machine learning or other, other ways are actually getting the data and using it in their underwriting process. So that's one of the areas where I know regulators in, in various states in the U.S. Are, are actually very concerned that just because data is out there doesn't mean that, you know, insurance company can just take that, you know, just like the drone data we're talking about and, and just use it, you know, in a, in a very, you know, with, without, without some discretion and, and some logic as to meeting various underwriting criteria. That's one area, again, that I think we'll see a lot more development and um, trying to figure out how insurance companies can use the data fairly in a transparent way. Hey, Paul, I know we could talk about this topic more and more. I can't believe we're out of time on the regular part of the show. So I'm definitely going to have you come back on because I think the topics on data and privacy and how firms should be thinking about that is important. So thanks again for being on the show today. Thanks, Keith. It's been really great talking to you on this topic. And also, don't go away because Paul's going to come back for the last segment on the pivot to talk about what he thinks the insurance industry is going to look like post-COVID-19. So if you have any questions or comments, 
about today's show. Email us at info at svn.biz. We'd be happy to talk to you about data privacy, especially if you're developing your product idea. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back with Paul Chen, partner Mayor Brown, to talk about the future of insurance. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Paul Chen, partner at Mayor Brown. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks a lot. Hey, Paul. In the earlier part of the show, we had a really great conversation on your deep experience as a corporate attorney and also all of your experiences in insurance and insure tech, life sciences, healthcare, as well as fintech. I did want to ask you about what the future of insurance, what the industry looks like. Yeah, well, with COVID-19 happening, and and hopefully we're going to get that issue addressed, but I I think it is going to definitely accelerate the digitization of insurance, meaning insurance becoming more electronic and and becoming more uh, embedded within your daily life and and the products that people use. So what I see insurance becoming is more of a lifestyle product in a lot of ways. And and hopefully because of that, with all these different channels explaining what insurance really is and what can do for people, uh, people will just have a better understanding of how insurance can really fit in their lives and and can help manage risk um, and provide more financial stability as well. And so I, I sort of, the way I think about it is looking at insurance development the same way how cars um, had developed in the U.S. Before today, cars really just kind of was functional tool enabled you to go from A to B. And uh, people didn't even wear seatbelts at one time, you know, and went as fast as they, they really wanted to. You know, once people started getting accidents, people developed seatbelts. And that's what insurance companies, insurance products really were. It was just that seatbelt, right? And so as car technology and safety became more part of the forefront, people became conscious of, you know, how they could protect themselves even in accidents. Then, you know, airbags started getting developed and, and uh, the engineering on the cars became safer and insurance industries adapted as well, you know, creating new products for people, um, create safety, you know, educate people about um, how they can protect themselves in various situations as they go, you know, through life's journey from A to so the cars today, you know, they, they talk to you, they, they can even almost drive themselves and we're going to get there with autonomous vehicles someday, right? But they can provide a lot more services to you while you're sitting in the car than ever before. So they have all the safety features, but they can also suggest things to you. You know, a lot of cars have, you know, all the various consumer apps, right? So while you're driving, you know, you can get all types of information about where to go eat, you know, where, where to go get gas at, at the lowest cost. And it's become, you know, somewhat of a, you know, expected lifestyle product. You know, you don't expect just to just go from A to B anymore in your car, but it, it provides you a lot of information. If you want to, you can even, you know, talk to a specialist concierge or, or whatnot, right? So there's a lot of things that are going on with cars that have really become embedded in, in your, you know, life as a, you know, and your lifestyle. And you can program your car to do all different kinds of stuff, you know, to kind of fit how you want to drive and, and so on and so forth. And insurance is the same way, right? You know, you might need different kinds of insurance for the type of lifestyle that you lead. You know, you might want to be educated about how you can improve your health 
prove, you know, your, your ability to experience new things, but at the same time be protected, you know, against like a canceled event, for example, you know, like travel insurance or event cancellation insurance, right? You know, with COVID-19, I know that insurance companies are offering products where if, you know, a show that you signed up for, or even a sports league, um, like for youth sports league, if, if, if the practices get canceled, you get your money back. I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get my money back for my BTS tickets for my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I I think the insurance um, products, um, as they adapt and better understand the consumer through all this data collection we're talking about, can really develop products that that really fit people's lifestyle and at the right cost, right? I mean, there's going to be some premium products that people might need and have to pay a lot more for if you're, you know, if you're a mountain climber, you're taking extreme risk. You know, they, these people deserve to, to be insured as well, as long as they take the right precautions. And so if they can prove that they're taking the right precautions that these types of risks can be under, underwritten properly, right? And then if there is a calamity, then um, the insurance companies owe it to their policyholders to, to quickly assess the damage and to award the uh, compensation in a fair way. Hey, Paul, I think your vision of the industry is great. I would love to have very precise products for what I need. Imagine all the miles that haven't been driven this year and how much insurance we're still paying, even with the the modest discounts. I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I really appreciate your time today. I hope to have you back on soon. Thanks, Keith. I really enjoyed being on your show. And the last thing I want to mention, and you'll see a lot more, Silicon Valley Insider, we're trying to empower people who are making pivots Uh, in a couple of different ways. I personally am working with the state of California on their apprenticeship program. Governor Newsom has announced that part of his uh, campaign was to create 500,000 alternative jobs, so not needing a four-year education. So we'll be posting a lot of information on the svin.biz website when that becomes available. And then Google just announced a uh, self-funded 100,000 scholarships for jobs at Google in things like data analytics, project management, user experience, and IT. Also come to the svn.biz website to find out more information or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks again for being here on the show today, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 